Jeremiah 35. This morning's message, the most important obedience. Uh, baptism is the first obedience, uh, first obedience after salvation. Oh, this morning we're talking about the most important obedience. John, I think you probably hear that ring that I hear, huh? Okay. Uh, the most important obedience. We'll get to that in just a minute. Go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 35. Uh, celebrations, well, obviously, five baptisms. That's a pretty big celebration right there. Uh, we're excited about that. And we, we know of one or two more that are sort of in the works. The Lord's working on some folks, so we will trust him when that time, uh, for, when, for when that time comes. Um, children went to camp uh, this week. Centra Kid in Pineville at Louisiana, Louisiana Christian University. Um, we survived. Uh, I've had a couple of naps. Uh, probably need a couple more, but it was good. Great week there. That's the, the, the t-shirt. Oh, I got water on me. How'd that happen? Um, just some things for you to think about and pray about. In our business meeting Sunday night, we, we voted uh, to sell some property out post oak in the interstate, uh, landlocked, not useful. Uh, we only ha owned a percentage of it. We voted to sell that. We also voted then to use that money plus some stocks that we have that were donated to us years ago and some money in uh, the Aging Cajuns Choir account that had been given for trips uh, multiple times over uh, to pay for gas and that sort of thing. So it's going to a similar, uh, a similar need to buy two new vans, to trade the vans that we have and buy two new ones. Uh, total cash and trade-in we hope to have $75,000 or so when the time comes, but looking at the prices of vans, unless we find somebody who is going to be very generous to us, a dealer that's very generous, we will probably need a little more money. So if you would like to donate to that, we would love it. You just write on your envelope vans, and we'll make sure that money gets where it needs to go. Uh, the other uh, item that we would love for you to donate to is our Mission Tucson trip the first weekend of October. We have intentionally kept the cost low for those going. Uh, we have money in our missions fund, but anything you give toward that will help with those costs um, as well. So if you want to give to that, just on the envelope right where it says Other Right Tucson or Mission Tucson or Arizona, however you want to do that and we would love for you to be a part of that if you're not going. That's one way that you can participate with us in our going on mission as a church. We've got 23, I think, people who came or expressed came to the interest meeting or expressed interest. So quite a few folks going. That's uh, like nearly a fifth of our congregation on a Sunday morning, so that's, that's good numbers going on this mission trip, so we're excited about that. And then let me remind you again, and I'm going to remind you every week about Back to Church Sunday, September 17th. Uh, it is Bring a Friend Sunday, if, uh, if, if, not if, it's Bring a Friend Sunday. We have invite cards, they're actually in my office, they're, we got them already that you can give out. But as importantly, it's uh, everybody who normally comes be here that Sunday, Sunday. Uh, our goal is 150 folks. If everybody who comes uh, uh, regularly, regardless of what your regular is, on that Sunday, we could hit that goal easily, and especially if we're inviting friends as well. Uh, that's September 17th. Uh, you'll, there's a banner already in the foyer as we move through the month of August. You'll see more stuff go up about it to encourage you to both invite a friend and set that date aside on the calendar to make sure I'm going to be in church that Sunday. So, that's, what's, uh, that's what we're celebrating this morning. We are looking at our memory verse next, that children's camp was not conducive to memorizing a verse. So, got my card. Here we go. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. 
It wasn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Sounds like a lot of y'all were at children's camp last week and unable to memorize the verse. Uh, all right, we got just a few more weeks, right? August, we'll start something new in September. So uh, we'll work on it a little bit more. The most important obedience, Jeremiah 35. We look at people who, who blindly follow uh, uh, earthly leaders that we don't agree with, especially, and we find them fanatical. Well, they're just crazy that they would follow this person so blindly. They just do whatever he says. But the truth is, we are our own version of fanatics very often because we will find our own leader to blindly follow. Uh, we'll do it locally, we'll do it nationally. At its most innocent, this fanaticism, this blindly following a leader, you get things like a whiteout at a football game where everybody wears a white t-shirt. Uh, they've done it at LSU. Uh, Penn State is probably the most famous uh, school known for whiteout day. They do it every year. Um, that's innocent enough. You're, you're following a leader. You're showing your fan, uh, fanaticism. You are a fan. But in its worst extremes, this fanatical following of a leader can get you something like Jim Jones and the hundreds of people who committed suicide at his behest. You get something like the, the Heaven's Gate cult that I talked about last week, that because Jesus was coming back on the backside of the Hale-Bopp comet, they committed suicide so that they were ready to go with him when he got here. Or you have something like the, the January 6th, 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, where they stormed the Capitol because they believed the election was not legitimate. All those things are following a leader who, in the case of a football team, the, the innocent obedience, uh, or in the case of not innocent obedience, but actual death and crime, is because of this desire, and at some, to some extent, but this belief in this leadership. But even an innocent obedience, even this, the, the, the obedience of the whiteout, or the fanaticism and the, the, the uh, adoration and adherence to a, a team, football, baseball, whatever, a school, or, or even family, if it is greater than our obedience to God, it is a condemnation or an admitting of our faithlessness to our Creator and Savior. If we are more obedient to anything earthly, than we are to God, then it is sinful. That leads to our big idea this morning. Your obedience to God should be greater than obedience to any other authority. And that's what we're going to see in Jeremiah 35. There's, there's a lot that could be said about this uh, This chapter. There, there, there are directions it could have gone and initially thought, oh, this would be, yeah, but the point of the passage, the point of the chapter is, is comparison. Obedience to an earthly leader versus lack of obedience to God. Now, we'll, we'll talk about it as we get into it because there are a lot of nuances and turns in there. But read with me, Jeremiah chapter 35. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them to one of the chambers of the temple of the Lord to offer them a drink of wine. So I took Jeazaniah, son of Jeremiah, son of 
Habazaniah, and his brothers, and all his sons, the entire house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the temple of the Lord to a chamber occupied by the sons of Hanan, son of Igdaliah. There'll be a test on all these names, by the way. Both pronunciation and who they were. A man of God who had a chamber near the official's chamber, which was above the chamber of Maaseiah, son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. I set jars filled with wine and some cups before the sons of the house of the Rechabites and said to them, drink wine. But they replied, we do not drink wine. For Jonadab, son of our ancestor Rechab, commanded, you and your descendants must never drink wine. You must not build a house or sow seed or plant a vineyard. Those things are not for you. Rather, you must live in tents your whole life so you may live a long time on the soil where you stay as a resident alien. We have obeyed Jonadab, son of our ancestor Rechab, in all he commanded us, so we haven't drunk wine our whole life, we, our wives, our sons, and our daughters. We also have not built houses to live in and do not have vineyard, field, or seed. But we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done everything our ancestor Jonadab commanded us. However, when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched into the land, we said, Come, let's go into Jerusalem to get away from the Chaldean and Aramean armies. So we have been living in Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Go, say to the men of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem, Will you not accept discipline by listening to my words? This is the Lord's declaration. The words of Jonadab, son of Rechab, have been carried out. He commanded his descendants not to drink wine, and they have not drunk to this day, because they have obeyed their ancestors' command. But I have spoken to you time and time again, and you have not obeyed me. Time and time again, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, proclaiming, Turn each one from his evil way and correct your actions. Stop following other gods to serve them. Live in the land that I gave you and your ancestors. But you did not pay attention or obey me. Yes, the son of, sons of Jonadab, son of Rechab, carried out their ancestors' command he gave them. But these people have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of armies, the God of Israel, says, I will certainly bring on Judah and all the residents of Jerusalem all the disaster I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them, but they have not obeyed. And I have called to them, but they did not answer. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Because you have obeyed the command of your ancestor Jonadab and kept all his commands and have done everything he commanded you, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man to stand before me always. Your obedience to God should be greater than obedience to any other authority. There are four aspects of obedience that we see in this passage, in this chapter. Four ways that God is comparing Israel to uh, the Rechabites. Or, or four lessons, I should say, not, not four ways he's comparing. Four lessons from this comparison. The first is verses 1 through 5, the test of obedience. The test of obedience. This happened anywhere from 600 to 598 B.C. This is prior to 597 when the first deportation of Israelites or Judahites at the time to Babylon happened. When, when Jeremiah wrote the letter to the exiles in Babylon and told them, marry, have children, let them get married, plant, sow, build houses, etc., etc., he was writing after 597, after that first battle. The city of Jerusalem wasn't destroyed, but they were captured and carried off. This is right before that. This is a couple of years before that, that Jeremiah is uh, talking about this happening. So who were these Rechabites? Uh, the Rechabite family, uh, Rechab being the 
the, the name of the ancestor that was taken, stretches back about 300 years uh, in, in Israelite history. So from 600 all the way back to 900 BC. They were actually, this family line was actually descendants of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. They weren't Jewish. They, they were of this different line. They were cousins, but cousins by marriage, uh, to Israel, but they weren't Israelites. But they were always on the edge as, as Israel became a, a nation and settled as they were told to in the Promised Land. The Rechabites still were out here both literally and figuratively on the edge of Israel. They were followers of Yahweh. They, they were believers in God and, and followed him, did the things that they were supposed to do. Jonadab is the guy that we are introduced to. He is the, the one who uh, gives them this command that they're talking about in the chapter. Uh, some of your Bibles may say Jehonadab. They, they love to shorten names a little bit. He was Rechab's son, and he fought with Jehu. Yep, a lot of names here. Fought with Jehu to purge the family of Ahab and Jezebel. There's some names that you should recognize. Uh, from Israel. And if you want to look that up and read about it, that's 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 15 through 27. It talks about Jonadab fighting with Jehu and actually riding in the chariot with the king, which was a pretty uh, uh, impressive spot to be in. When all that was done, Jonadab commanded his descendants to be different from everybody else, uh, to uh, in his case, um, is recounted in their, their response to the test that's given. Drink wine. That's, that's, chapter, uh, that's verse 5 of chapter 35. Jeremiah goes and gets all these people the, who, is, uh, who are a part of the house of Rechabites and says, brought them into the temple and tells us all about where he brought them, this man and under the, above this chamber, near this chamber, and sat on down and said, drink wine. It was a test, a test of obedience. It was not a temptation. What's the difference, Michael? Well, God tests, but God doesn't tempt. The difference is, in temptation... The hope, uh, the hoped-for result is evil. I tempt you so that you'll do something wrong. If I test you, it's to prove your faithfulness. That's what God does. When you test metal, you test gold to make sure it's pure, you're testing not to do something evil with the gold, but to make sure that it is purified like it's supposed to be. You find out if it's pure. Jeremiah, at the word of the Lord, is testing the obedience of the Rechabites. And we see their response in verses 6 through 11. Number two, we have the example of obedience. In this passage, in, in 6 through 11, they replied, No. They used a lot more words, but that's what they said. They said, no. Jonadab gave them some rules after helping Jehu win. He tells them uh, they are to remain nomads and not settle down. And in not settling down, they wouldn't plant because you're never going to be in one place long enough to plant anything. Uh, you're not going to have a vineyard because vineyards take a long time to develop. And you don't need a vineyard anyway because you need to swear off wine. Now, there were Nazarite uh, laws. Samson, he didn't follow it, but Samson was a Nazarite. Uh, that was one of the, the rules as a Nazarite being set apart. Uh, as a Nazarite was to not drink wine. Samuel was uh, a Nazarite. And there were others. But these, this group doesn't appear to have taken the Nazarite vow or to be set aside as a Nazarite. This is, this is Jonadab, for whatever reason, setting the, this, this boundary 
for his family. Nobody else, just his family. And they obeyed this boundary for 250 years. Generation after generation obeyed Jonadab's rules. Now, there's no biblical warrant for any of this. Again, Nazarite vow would say no wine, but this wasn't a Nazarite vow. It doesn't have that language to it. So it's not a a biblical thing. It's not a passage that we read and find it instructive or normative for us today. We don't always all have to go sell our houses and just wander around the swamps here living in tents. That's not not the purpose of this. It's not a Yahweh-given command for the people. God didn't tell him because we have no uh, record of that. God didn't tell him to do this for his people. And we're not sure of the reasons why then. If, if it's not these things that I just said, it, well, what were the reasons? Well, we don't know. Possibly after seeing the corruption in the cities brought on by Ahab and Jezebel, but really Ahab's daddy, Omri, or any of the other kings that were evil before them, Jonadab said, y'all, stay out of the cities. That is not a good place. It could have been the, the, the corruption that comes with that and, and just the, the natural, for them, the drunkenness. Well, not even for them. We can see it today. The, the drunkenness of, of, of wine. And he said, just stay away from all of that. He could have wanted them to have the ability to move when God said move. And in this situation that they're going to explain here, it was helpful that they could just quickly pack up all of their stuff and come into Jerusalem when, the, uh, when enemy armies moved through the, the deserts where they lived. It could have been that he wanted his family to have less connection to materialism. Now, nomads, nomadic herders and that sort of thing, they could get wealthy. Uh, that, that, it's not that, it, that he was opposed to wealth necessarily, but they just weren't tied to as much stuff, certainly not tied to permanent stuff. We don't know. We're just speculating, and those are all good, helpful ideas to process through as believers and followers of Jesus, but those aren't the rules we live by. But it was the rule they lived by. And they said to this simple command, drink wine, they said, no, we can't. We were told not to by our ancestor, our father, Jonadab, and we have kept that command all the way down to now. Nobody has broken it except that when Nebuchadnezzar sent his mercenary armies, we moved into the city. doesn't say they bought houses. They just moved inside of the walls for protection. The truth is, these folks had all sorts of reasons to break their great, 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 however many grandfathers command on their lives. All sorts of compromises, all sorts of uh, excuses, justifications for breaking the command. Um, They were, maybe they were seen as, and, and to some extent maybe they were, just ignorant country bumpkins, or maybe they were the the, the low-key, feel-good hippies of the day. Yeah, man, we just live out in the forest, man. We're just, you know, and, and so, yeah, well, whatever. And they come in, and the, that, that, maybe that's who they were. That, that would have been a reason to compromise. They were displaced. They had had their lifestyle Though it wasn't tied to stuff as much, it was still a lifestyle they were familiar with. They had been uprooted, which they were nomads. They lived an uprooted life, but they had just kind of gone wherever they wanted to or wherever they needed to for the herds that they may have had. But now they were forced out of what they were used to doing for 250 years into this place that they didn't want to live and that could not have been good for their psyches or souls. So in that feeling of discouragement, that would have been, well, you know what? Whatever. Doesn't matter anymore. 
It's a time of great turmoil, right? Armies are moving into the countryside. Uh, it won't be long before the, the city is under siege. So you could be hopeless at this point. Again, what does it matter? Just let's drink wine, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die, is what the um, accused, uh, uh, corrected landowner says in the New Testament. That is not something to live by, a statement to live by. But that could have been their response at this point. They might be looking at their own deaths. If it's getting close enough, we could die right here in the city of Jerusalem. So we might as well enjoy it while we're here. Those are sort of the negative excuses, the negative reasons. There are positive ones as well. Jeremiah the prophet told us to. That's a pretty big one. He's, he's one of those people, one of those leaders you would want to follow if you trusted him. And, and it seems that they did. They came at his invitation to the temple, so they didn't seem to hate him as much as so many other folks did. The prophet said to drink wine. We're in the temple, the temple itself. This is God's house, and they, they have wine. They have casks of it and, and nice cups to drink out of, and it probably wasn't the bad wine either. I don't know the difference, but I hear there is a difference. So this wasn't the bad stuff. This was the temple stuff. They are here among these noted and honored leaders, not just Jeremiah, but these names and positions, the doorkeeper, the, the chiefs of, of various things. These are, these are all the, the leadership of the temple the, and, and servants of the temple, honored positions of service in the temple. They're surrounded by these people in these special rooms. They have been invited into the heart of the temple, and wine has been put in front of them. I mean, if you're ever going to break your pledge, that's the time to do it. And truthfully, if there were, the, there were legalists among them, there were those that could say, look, you've already broken one of your pledges. You're living in the city. Again, it doesn't say they bought houses and they have... They, were, they nomadically moved into the city because they were forced to. So, no, they hadn't really broken their pledge, but you could say, oh, you know what, it's kind of over now. We, we've, we've done this, we're in the city, it's, might as well break them all. Now, this is not today's sermon. This is one of the ways I thought about going and really wanted to, but didn't we can always find excuses to break promises pledges or rules we can always find reasons that we don't have to obey the bible we don't have to really do what god says what jesus says we can always find reasons and excuses to do that but but that's not the message this morning because they didn't find the reasons they ignored all the reasons. They, they were immune to these justifications. They wouldn't compromise. They wouldn't break the rules. And they were compared favorably to Israel as a whole, but specifically to King Zedekiah. We're talking about a time of Jehoiakim right now, but the comparison is to Zedekiah. Number three in this passage, we see the comparison of obedience. We had the test of obedience, drink wine. We have the example of obedience, nope, because our ancestor said not to. And now we get to verses 12 through 17 where we see the comparison of obedience. Now, 12 through 17 talks about specifically the right then. The, the couple of years before 597 B.C., the first major uh, incursion of Babylon into, Israel, into Judah and the siege of Jerusalem where so many people will be exported and exiled into Babylon. And at this moment, 600 to 598 B.C., these Rechabites still obey an ancestor long dead, 
and Israel won't obey their living and active God. So that's the comparison. Jeremiah tell the people, y'all don't do a thing I say, and I'm God. And these Rechabites, 300 years, 250 years later, are still obeying a guy that made rules for them that I didn't say they had to do. Who is the one that's obedient? Who is the example of obedience here? Now, in context in Jeremiah, it's even more stark. The comparison is more stark. It is a comparison to Zedekiah and the release of slaves in chapter 34. Now, if you did your reading this week, which is why we give you the reading plan, so you'll do it, but also so that you're prepared for the message and connect groups on Sunday, if you read chapter 34, you read all about that. You read about how uh, Zedekiah was supposed to release their Hebrew slaves. As a matter of fact, that goes back to God's laws, God's commands to them when they came into the promised land. Hebrew slaves that sell themselves to you to pay a debt, you are supposed to release. You can only have them for six years. The seventh year, you release them. And God tells Zedekiah, let's get our timeline straight here, though. Jeremiah has put this out of order timeline-wise. Chapter 34 is happening around 588 B.C., right before Jerusalem is completely destroyed in 587. Ten years after, thereabout, this story with the Rechabites. The Rechabites happened in 598. Zedekiah was 588. But he's got them out of order. Why? We don't know. So we move on. Nonetheless, that's the comparison. You, Zedekiah, were told to follow what I told you to do hundreds of years ago, release your Hebrew slaves, and you did. Good job. And you immediately brought them right back into slavery. What's up with that? Where's your head, boy? Well, his head was, and it was all the officials. It wasn't just Zedekiah. It was the whole country. The head was, wait a minute. We kind of liked having slaves. We didn't have to do as much work. We didn't have to pay them. This was a good deal. We want them back. They were supposed to be freed every six year, after six years, and they didn't. But more broadly, so that's the comparison. That's the literary comparison. As Jeremiah wrote this down and sent this to the, the leaders, preached this, compiled this, his purpose was, look at what Zedekiah was told to do. Look at his disobedience to something he was told to do right then, but they had been told to do years before, compared to this guy who was obedient to a very comparatively short amount of time from his ancestor, not God. Israel had ignored repeated interventions by prophets while the Rechabites obeyed this one guy for a long time who had been long gone. The Rechabites were obedient to a dead grandfather, and Israel was repeatedly and repulsively disobedient to God who, who made them a nation, who was their God, who set up how they were supposed to live. You see the comparison of obedience? God is saying, Rechabites... They are more honorable than Israel. It has nothing to do with the Rechabites' obedience to him. It is simply the fact that they were obedient at all. Israel, you're not. They're, they received their reward. Israel did. Ten years after this story with the Rechabites, one year after the story with Zedekiah, their reward was destruction of the most horrific type. And then Jeremiah finishes off with the reward of obedience. Verses 18 
and 19 say, But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Because you have obeyed the command of your ancestor Jonadab, and kept all his commands, and have done everything he commanded you, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, the son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man to stand before me always. They were rewarded for their obedience to their ancestor. In, that, in those two verses, there is no mention of God other than he is the one rewarding. He is the one recounting their obedience. It's not obedience to him. Which, it just, it just seems odd. I, you would think that, oh, I found them faithful to me in all their nomadic ways. Something like that would... But no, it's, it's not odd. It's the purpose. That is, it's the, that is the, this is the whole point. They were obedient to a man who, at this point, really means nothing other than the command he gave. Yes, Great guy, probably. Helped Jehu against uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Excellent. But not a lot of influence now. Except the influence they still give him. And they still obey him. I'm God, Yahweh says. I am the one who give you, gives you everything, does everything for you. Look around. What do you have that I didn't give you? Answer, nothing. It's all because of me, and I will tell you over and over. I just told you yesterday. We ain't talking about 250 years ago. I told you yesterday. I told you this morning. And what are you doing? You're disobeying. God, they obey a man. You won't obey me. You kill my prophets that I send you. You kidnap them, eventually, and cart them off to Egypt. Ignore them, beat them, throw them in jail. Do all these things. That's what you do when I tell you to do something. And these people give up wine, which for them was a big deal. Me, just tell me i got to give up sweet tea. That's, that's when we got issues. Or Coke. If I have to give up one of those two, that's a, that's a problem. But they were, they were told to give up wine. They have to drink water now. And water's sort of iffy. It's like real iffy around there. It may not exist, and when it does, it may not be good for you. Wine was the supplement. You could mix wine with water and kill the, the bacteria. It was necessary. Don't drink it. It was their medicine. Don't drink it. Because one guy said so. Israel, what are you even doing? Why do you not obey me the way these people obey that guy? The Rechabite obedience was rewarded. Even though it wasn't commanded by God, he rewarded them. The truth is, not all traditions, not all Cultural norms are bad. There was nothing wrong at all with his command. It, they would have found it odd. I guarantee you there were people that made fun of those, those nomadic hippies, those Rechabites, for not drinking wine and not living in houses. <laughs> Idiots. But not all traditions, not all cultural norms are bad, even if they aren't biblical commands per se. And these weren't. But God is not judging the command. God's not saying, aren't these people good because they didn't drink wine, lived nomadic lifestyles, didn't own houses, didn't plant, sow, and have vineyards. He's not rewarding that. God is, in this case, neutral to the command itself. He didn't suddenly tell Israel, be like them, follow their rules. He, he didn't tell them, y'all, you don't need to do that. None, none of that. It was simply commending their obedience versus the fact that Israel was not. For the Rechabites, this is obedience even in drought to get to our sermon series theme. Obedience in drought. The Rechabites have been displaced 
by the judgment of God that they likely had nothing to do with bringing about. They probably were not being judged at all. Israel was, and they've been wrapped up in it now. Their lifestyle, their lives have been overturned because of this new metaphorical drought, and yet they are obedient anyway. They are faithful anyway. Again, this isn't the sermon, because we're not really focusing on the Rechabites, but we can't pass this up. Your circumstances, whether good, like being in the temple, or bad, by like being moved out by war, have nothing to do with your obedience. What circumstance are you in right now that makes it impossible for you to be obedient to God? The answer is nothing. None. There's no circumstance of your life that means you can't be obedient to God. Oh, you've got excuses. You've got justifications. You have reasons, but none of them are good. There's no circumstance that says, well, I'm off the hook in my obedience. Because obedience is even required in drought. And let's, let's pause here at the end for just a moment to, to realize this too. If God will bless obedience to an ancestor, do you not think he will also bless obedience to himself? Well, we know he would have. He told Israel over and over, y'all, if you just obey me, you don't get destroyed. It's, it's pretty simple. Do what I say and live. Do what I say and exist. That's a pretty good reward. Well, what are you going to give me, God? Well, I won't kill you. Okay, I like that. I mean, a million dollars would be nice too, but not dying is great. Especially not dying horrifically by being impaled on a stake or skinned alive or having various parts cut off while I moan in agony. You know, stuff, things like, sure, all right, I like that. I'm okay with that. No, they weren't. But obedience is also its own reward. Be obedient because God told you to be obedient. And you will find that obedience comes with its own reward. Obedience is the reward. Years ago, obviously, because it's a high school story, uh, after a car wreck that we were in uh, when I was almost 18, um, and my mom was in the hospital for weeks, uh, I think maybe 13 weeks if I remember correctly. Um, I would, Daddy still worked, so often I would spend the night at the hospital in Baton Rouge and then drive to Watson to go to school the next morning at Live Oak High School. Um, it was a 20, 25-minute trip. Um, oh, no, she was at the lake, so it was probably longer than that. It, it took a while to get to school, and I was late a lot to school. And uh, the secretary, the school secretary that we checked in with was a lady by the name of Jackie Hoover. Uh, one of my best friends was in my class. That was her mom. Uh, her dad was uh, superintendent of another district or principal, no, principal of another school or something. Anyway, well-known well family. They went to our church. I knew, I knew Miss Jackie well. So I, one particular morning I got to school and was... 10, 15, 20 minutes late, whatever it was, and, and Miss Jackie, had, knowing the situation, said, oh, were you at the hospital with your mom? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm just late. And she said, oh, okay, here's your tardy. And I even said something along the lines of, I don't get rewarded for being honest? And she said, Honesty is its own reward. I didn't think so at the time. I thought, you know, not getting a tardy is also a reward. Just throwing that out there. But she was right. And clearly that has stuck with me because that was 30 years ago. And I still remember that moment. Honesty is its own reward. Well, honesty is really just a form of obedience. So I think Miss Jackie would have also have said, and if in some similar situation, obedience is its own reward. This morning, you have to decide which command you're going to be obedient 
two. You have to decide what the most important obedience is in your life. You need to decide, is it the situation that is leading you to make some compromise in your obedience to God? Is that what's most important? Is it some obedience to some other group, some other leader that is leading you to compromise? Or is your most important obedience to God? We really have to decide that every day as followers of Jesus, and probably multiple times a day. Maybe this morning you need to be obedient to the command to repent of your sins and to take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's a command. You have to do it in order to be saved. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus for salvation. It's not a maybe. It's not a, it's not a well, it'll work out. No, it won't. It's, it's a command. And if you do that, if you obey the command to repent, there's blessing. There's reward. Maybe it's obedience to believers' baptism, like we saw with five Folks, this morning, following in obedience in believer's baptism, being baptized after you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. A direct command of His, as a matter of fact, to repent of your sins and be baptized. In that obedience, there's blessing. Maybe it's obedience to joining a church, to putting down spiritual roots, to put down spiritual family roots, being a part of the congregational leadership that that guides everything we do as a church, as a local body of Christ. In that, there is blessing. Maybe it's, maybe you've done all those things, and maybe it's just Day-to-day obedience to the call and commands of Christ. Oh, child, there's blessing in obeying Jesus. This morning, what is your obedience? What is the most important obedience for you? Your obedience to God should be greater than obedience to any other authority. What is he telling you to do this morning? Obey him, whatever it is. It may be coming to Christ. It may be salvation, believing on Jesus for salvation, repenting of your sins. Basic understanding of you are a sinner, and the wages of those, sin is, those sins, that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can have salvation. That's what these five believed. And they followed in obedience. But first they obeyed the command to repent and be saved. Because they knew their sinfulness. And they knew only Jesus could take care of that. And then they made the decision for that first obedience following salvation to be baptized. Maybe, maybe that's your decision this morning. Take up your cross, leave your life, follow Jesus. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is baptism or submitting to God in some other way. You've been baptized, conforming your life to Christ, obeying his commands. Maybe it's joining this church, being a part of this local faith body faith, family. Whatever your decision is, we pray that you would share that with us. Let us know so we can pray with you and for you, so we can rejoice with you, so we can plan the next one of these, so you can be baptized and follow in obedience. But today, choose the most important obedience, obeying God no matter what. Pray with me. Lord, we love you. We praise you. God, you are great and greatly to be praised. Lord, and we fail to do that way too much. 
But Lord, we also fail to do that in our actions. We say with our mouths we praise you and that you are great and worthy to be praised and awesome and all these things. And then by our actions, we often deny the very things we speak. Lord, we confess that sinfulness to you this morning. We confess that we don't obey you like we should. We confess that when circumstances arise that we think we have a better plan for, we ignore you and go our own way, do our own thing. And Lord, we thank you that you forgive, that your mercies are new every morning. You don't give us what we deserve and that you are gracious toward us. You're, toward us. Your, your grace overflows. We get what we don't deserve. Lord, we thank you that every morning we get another chance. You call us, you redirect us, but Lord, let us not presume upon that grace. Let us not, as Paul said, sin more so that grace can abound, but Lord, let us devote our lives to you. Give them to you. Be obedient to you. A living sacrifice to you. Conformed to you. Not to this world. Obedient to you. Not to this world. And this morning, we pray for those in this room and watching online who have never believed on Jesus for salvation, they would do that today. They would admit they're a sinner, repent of their sins, believe in him, trust him alone for salvation, and would follow in obedience and baptism. Give their lives to you. Take up their cross, follow you, leaving everything. Because, as you told the disciples, not one person who leaves everything will not get everything and more back. That's your grace and your mercy. So, Lord, may we respond this morning to your call to obedience. May we follow, listen, and obey the most important obedience in our lives, you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you'd like to trust Jesus for salvation or have some questions about that. Chelsea will be up here to the le my left. I'll be over here to my right. Uh, Lee Bird, one of our deacons. Kirk Mellard, one of our deacons. And then Justin, our youth minister, will be in the back. If you'd like, nope, Justin will be upstairs. Sorry. Uh, but our deacons will be in the back. If you'd like to pray with them, if you'd like to join our church, whatever your decision is, we'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you just want to come up here and give something to the Lord and make a, an altar out of this stage. Whatever your decision is, do that this morning. Because your most important obedience is the next thing God tells you to do. Don't tell him no. Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship, and do business with him this morning.